But then um, la- last year I was going to um, the DPRK. So then I'm like, if I'm going to the DPRK, I should make a music video there because it's not like every day I can go to the DPRK. So then I made that song, um, uh, Rumors and Slanders, um, Liu Yan Fei Yu. Yo, Brett Salute to Ransom Notes. This is for the people. Fuck the US of America, cuck Hello, welcome to another episode of the Silk and Steel podcast. I'm your host, Carl Za. Today we have a very special guest. We have Mr. Zhang Yu, uh, who is a Taiwanese-American rapper. Can you talk about your so trip uh, to DPRK? And what, what are your impressions? You know how like in the media, how they, they make um, Korea look all gray yes. and just drab and really depressing? Yes. Now, Pyongyang is really colorful. Wow. They have like all these pastel colors like on their like residential buildings. It's um it's uh it's definitely worth the trip if you have the time and the money. It's um and th- this is the thing, if you whatever preconceived notions you have over there, I feel like most people will try to look for evidence to confirm their biases. Yes. So then like liberals go in and then they'll see um they'll see how, you know, for example, the roads connecting the cities are bad or that maybe Okay, let's face it. They don't have first world living standards, but then they'll just attribute everything to like the Kim family instead of like, you know, for example, U.S. sanctions or years of imperialist aggression against their country, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, I yeah, people don't realize North Korea actually had better living standard than South Korea up to 1970s. Yeah. And like the um, 1970s, like a lot of they, they got like injected with a lot of money from abroad because okay one they had like war reparations from japan and then like japan also gave them like their auto making technology as like reparation and also um the u.s gave them a lot of money for fighting in the vietnam war for them yes and that's another and, story and the u.s did so much things because at first the u.s was like okay we're just gonna let them go through laissez-faire and then just treat them like any other client state but then South Korea just remained a shithole, and then they were like, "Okay, this is bad because the North is actually doing well. If we don't, if we don't do what we can to boost the South's economy, then the people are going to start being disillusioned with capitalism, and they're going to start turning towards like the North." So then I, there was also that. That's why I call these places like the front lines of the Cold War. That's where, because like you know, like during the Cold War, the U.S. and Soviet Union never like really fought directly. It was always like proxy wars, yeah. like in Afghanistan or in Vietnam, and then I think in places like. And Korea. But then I think in places like South Korea and Taiwan, okay, there were no like direct confrontations for like many decades, but then that's where like ideological warfare was the strongest. Yep. So I think Taiwan and South, I think Taiwan and to a lesser extent, South Korea are great success stories of like U.S. cultural hegemony. And and the funny thing is when um, uh, South Korea initially, uh, you know, has a lot of U.S. economic advisors and the advice the uh, South Korean uh, dictator Park, uh, what's his what's his full name? Uh, I'm just gonna call him. Park Park Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
they the American advisors actually advised uh, South Korean government to concentrate on light industries, you know, like textiles, making cheap shoes, stuff like that, uh, because supposedly that will leverage, uh, you know, South Korea's cheap labor. That's that's South Korea's competitive advantage. But uh, that stuff's good for capitalists. Like if you're just make, trying to make a quick profit, that's much yeah. more. You, you make much more money in much shorter time than like investing heavily in heavy industry. Yep, and and uh, but but uh, but the South Korean dictator uh, Park uh, Park Hee Park Chung Hee said, no, no, no. You know, I have to compete with North Korea, right? I want to have a steel industry. Um, you know, I want to have an automotive industry. I want to have a shipbuilding industry. And then he um, got killed. And 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 but, but no 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 but but but, but Americans like you're crazy. You're crazy. What, you know what are you gonna you know, if you make put all this investment into steel industry, how is South Korea going to consume all these steel? You know, like South Korea was an agricultural economy, you know, how, but, you know, but one thing actually led to another, you know, basically they adopted a state directed, um, you know, a state directed investment, right? So, yeah. so they, they built their steel industry and, and that's, that's a one reason like, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, if you go into a lot of South Korea, a lot of Korean restaurants in the United States, you will see they use uh, metal chops as the metal chopsticks and metal spoons and everything, metal, metal bowl, right? Yeah. That started from that period because to support its own domestic steel industry, <laughs> they they literally, you know, like were promoting use of all these, everything made out of steel, right? Yeah. And then, but from, um, the Korean steel industry came the Korean automotive industry, the Korean shipbuilding industry. I mean, that's how South Korea eventually be, you know, became one of the largest economy in the world. Yeah. I think the league right now is either the number 10 or number 11, uh, something, something around. If there. you but, want development, like, you need the means of production to make more means of production, not just the means of production to make cheap shoes. Exactly, exactly. Because South Korea got where it is today explicitly because it didn't listen to, you know, these Harvard trained American economists who told them to stick to making shoes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's a that's a, that's a little side side note. We'll, we'll get back to our main topic now. <laughs> DPRK. DPRK. So my trip to the DPRK, I wanted to go there because I have family history there. Some because um. My grandfather is from Shandong, and he was part of the group with his brother who um Guangdong. Yes, which is like I don't know how to say that in English, but basically you have like a lot of like Chinese people from like, um like the central areas going to the northeast because uh, this was in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century when, uh, when the Qing imperial government finally lifted the ban on Han Chinese migrating to area of Manchuria, uh, because for for a long time, you know, like the <laughs> the Manchu rulers of Qing dynasty, uh, you know, imposed a, a limit uh, on Manchu. A lim- uh, you know, they, they didn't want any Han immigration into Manchuria, their homeland. Uh, but on in the late nineteenth century, when things got so bad, when the Russia, both Russia and Japan were encroaching. On, on Manchuria, that's when the Qing government decided, okay, well, we'll, 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 we'll finally lift the ban. And a lot of uh, Han Chinese peasants were fleeing famines and, and civil wars, conflict in, you know, like, like Sandong, especially from Sandong and Hebei. They, yeah, they, yeah. 
went to Manchuria, like millions of people went, millions of people. And, and because that's also the, coincided the time when um, trains were first built into Manchuria from China. So people were able to just board the trains and go to, go to Manchuria to seek a new life. So yes, yeah, yeah. so, so your grandparents were, were that way. Yeah, my grandfather and his brother. Um, my grandfather was actually born during the Qing Dynasty, like the final year, because he had my dad when he was fifty. But that's another topic. He um, so then he did that, and then like when he was over there, I mean that was the Northeast was already like kind of under Japanese occupation. Yeah. So then he eventually he and his older brother found their way to Korea, which was still one at that point. And also on. The- <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, um, be- my grandfather made his way to Seoul, whereas his brother stayed in um Chagang Province, in um this place called um like uh, Huichun, Huichun. Wait, wait, so his your grandfather's brother stayed in North Korea? Oh, he eventually made it back to China, but um, he was in he was in North Korea when the war broke out, and he almost died because um his whole town got bombed. Wow. Yeah, he he and his family were hiding in um in this like like ravine or like valley. And the PLA found them and the PVA, the People's Volunteer the Chinese People's Volunteer Army found them and they were like, "Okay, you it's is really unsafe here. You should go back to China." So then they walked they walked all the way to Xinjiang. Wow, that is a yeah. long walk. Yeah. I mean, like people for my audience who not familiar is this part of the Korean war history. I mean, North Korea was extensively bombed to the point where they kind of ran out of the target, the, the bombable target. Um, like America, uh, that was the most extensive bombing campaign by United States after World War II is against North Korea. Yeah. So then that's kind of why I wanted to go see the North because I have family history there and Plus, I mean, my grandmother also lived in the north for a little bit when it was still like uh, still occupied by Japan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like the North Korea I saw and the North Korea they saw were completely different, but I still mm-hmm. wanted to see it and really just kind of interact with the people there and just see things. So you know, I went to um, I went to uh, Shinizou, uh, Pyongyang, Wonsan, uh, Hamung. And then I made a second trip to um, Nasun. I also went to Kaesong. So then I just I saw like many different places in the country. I actually saw Kim Jong Un in person. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how did that happen? September 9th um, is their national day, and September 9th, two thousand eighteen, was the seventieth anniversary of the founding of the DPRK, and that was also the opening date for the mass games, the um, like the mass gymnastics and um. Yeah, those performances, like in um in the Mayday Stadium, the largest stadium in the world, and since it was opening day and it was such a big holiday, Kim Jong Un was in the audience, so he sat like three hundred meters away from me. Wow. Yeah, but because he was there, I couldn't bring my camera and I couldn't bring anything, and because security <laughs> was very high. Sure, I'm sure. Um, so okay, I I know the the famine is actually many years in the past, but. You know, many many English speaking audience might not know that. So, yeah. do you, were you when you went to North Korea, did you see anybody looking famished? Not really. I think in the countryside, some people seemed like they didn't eat as well, but they were like nowhere near like famine levels. 
Like, um, I mean, um, they talk candidly about the 1990s. Like, yeah, there was a famine. It was really bad. We cut down trees and then, like, cooked the tree bark and stuff like that. But, I mean... Yeah. Um, well, one of the reasons also for the 1990s, uh, early 90s famine was that, you know, North Korea for the longest time relied on Soviet Union as a trading partner. Um, basically, Soviet Union was one of its top export market in return north korea was getting uh fuel uh particularly yeah. you know uh, um uh i think gasoline and uh petroleum products uh so so this, yes. the collapse of soviet union was just devastating to the north korean economy because they were part of shock therapy was on um, that russia wasn't allowed to provide any more of that stuff to north korea exactly so then without fuel, with your industrial base, your your, um, your industry can't run and your tractors in the countryside can't run. So then your country's at a standstill. And then they also had two floods and a drought. And that was and so then out of desperation, they tried to join the World Bank and the IMF. But then um, I think the U.S. vetoed their um, bid under Clinton. Yeah, and also the North Korea, unlike South Korea, North Korea is very mountainous. And, and you know, most of the... Arable 90 percent yeah air, most of arable farm land, land ended up in south korea so yeah. north korea had to rely on use of you know a lot of use of chemical fertilizers uh you know to sustain its agriculture and of course with cutting off of, of petroleum products from soviet union that meant you know no no chemical fertilizers so yeah yeah so then you go there you, you just kind of notice how they try to get around sanctions like they have um they have green energy everywhere nowadays because of like limited fuel. Like every, you go to like apartment complexes, every balcony has like this giant solar panel. And then you have like the building I stayed in in Pyongyang was powered by geothermal and solar energy, nothing else. Now you went in from like a, like a organized yeah. tour from China, right? Okay, so that's that's basically the only way for anybody to. You can set up a private Korea, tour. Right? You still you'll still have um two Korean guides, but it'll be more expensive. But then you can, you're a lot more free to like plan out what you want to do. Right, 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 right. But um, so the fact that you're American that that didn't present a problem to go on the tour. I use my. I use my Taiwan passport. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, but, okay. So I, cause I was going to ask you like, cause I know there are Americans who go on those tours and I, I, oh, I know, I, I know a few Americans who are, who go in and out because of, because of their jobs. Oh, so yeah. what do they do? Tour guides or like other sort of like cultural exchange or like they work at, yeah, there's different cases. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I, I know uh, before, you know, that's one way for Americans to go to North Korea is go through these organized tours. Um, I don't know, yeah. you know with a recent change in the State Department. They renewed, they, they renewed the um, ban. Oh, they Fucking did. Fucking auto-warm beer. Okay, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let, let's talk about um, more about your your album <laughs> and your music. And so, so you, you got around, you know, we already talked about how you got around to like rap music and stuff. When do you, when did you actually start to make music on your own? 
Okay, this is a funny story. Um, how I became a Chinese rapper. So around the time I wanted to practice like reading and writing Chinese was also around the time I started scribbling random like rhymes in school. Like when I'm in the classroom, like because I just um like high school was boring to me. So then most of the time I was just just kind of daydreaming and yeah. So I would just write things down, and then one day I decided, um, okay, this is this is the first time I'm making this public. So um, I wanted to have a microphone. I wanted to record my stuff, but then like I didn't have a job back then. So how did I get the money? My school was actually um, switching buildings, so like they were getting rid of the old building and getting a new building. So then they were moving things, and a lot of things got lost. So then what I did was I started stealing um, the TI eighty three and TI eighty four calculators and selling them on eBay. <laughs> And then I used that money to buy my first microphone, and then I I didn't know how to make beats or do all any of that stuff back then. But then I just I just downloaded beats and started rapping over them, and like I didn't expect anyone to pay attention to them because it was just me messing around for fun as a kid. But then one of the songs was so bad that it became viral. <laughs> okay, you guys have you have to、uh, give us a link. <laughs> Um, it's not on there anymore because um, I got into so many flame wars that with that account when I was still like seventeen that the whole account got deleted. Oh man, man, for, for deleted issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they got rid of the account, and um, I think those those songs are on my old hard drive, and I'm just not motivated enough to go find them. I understand. But,、um, I understand. Yeah. So then that went viral, and then I got a lot of hate. And like I was only seventeen, but then like there was like this hip hop blog in Taiwan called um um Rao So Kuang Ai, Rao So Kuang Ai Zhi Jia. And then like it was run by like a thirty year old, and he was just like saying like very like really fucked up comments, like um like he, they were pretty much like bullying like a seventeen year old, which I think is I, I think it's pretty low. I think it's okay for like a like. Appear to bully up here, like on the internet. I mean, it's still bad, but it's understandable. But if you're like thirty and you're like bullying like a seventeen year old online, I don't、uh, know. I don't know what to say. I I, I think it's pretty sad. Yeah. But then yeah. that just motivated me to prove that I wasn't like as that. I, I wanted to prove that I had potential. So then I was like, okay, what started off as just like a fun hobby became something I took more seriously. So then I started taking rap more seriously, and then I made my first EP when I was eighteen.、Um, But then I was still a liberal back then, so I just yeah. So the content was pretty, pretty <laughs>、okay. bad. So when another you- video I got I, another video that went viral that's still online、uh-huh. is um though it's not public is this song called Yeager Zadan. So I actually popularized Yeager bombs in Taiwan. Okay, that's. I made、great. a song about. I made a song about Jaeger bombs when I was eighteen, and I wanted to. Um, I was still like a little um, a little fuck boy. <laughs> so then I saw like these rap videos with like I wanted to be like cool like the rappers like have like you know like a, a whole like a whole entourage, and then like <laughs> we all do like girls and all that stuff. So then it's 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 like kind of like it's kind of bad thinking back now, but then you know eighteen young impressionable eighteen year old. So then I made a video. And then it also it, it became viral. It has like eight million views, right? No, 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 is it eight million? No, 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 not million. It's eight hundred thousand views because I, I made it. I made it private for a while, and then I made it like、um, hidden. Why? Because it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh come on! Now, I, now I want to see it. <laughs> no, no. Okay, I'll show. I'll, I'll show you this video. Okay. 
Okay, so then I, I did that when I was 18, and then I made my EP, and then but then I I started suffering from this severe writer's block because I, at that point I didn't know what to write about anymore. I hadn't become a communist yet, and the, I'm like, okay, what do I write about? Because a lot of the rap that was out there, like that's more mainstream, is just like um, I guess in Chinese what we call 大屌哥。You gotta explain that for our English audience. 大屌哥 literally means big dick song, but what it is is like it's just songs boasting about like you know your wealth, like your fame, your um like your um your like I guess sexual exploits and like that sort of standard stuff. rap music, right? <laughs> Nowadays, yes, yes. And then I just that just wasn't me. I I realized that because like I mean I was I was like a college kid who you know. So then, that was around the time when I just kind of pushed it to the side. I still wanted to do it, but I just had no, I had no motivation whatsoever. I had no、um, inspiration. So then, yeah, that was when I started taking studying communism and stuff like that more serious. Like a few years, like after that, like during those few years, I started like reading more about. I started reading more. I got into the habit of just reading more, and I w- wanted to improve my Chinese. So I started reading. Like books in Chinese as well. What are you, some of your、uh, some of these books that that you found really inspirational? Well, not really inspirational, but I mean, like this is also the time I was trying to understand like Taiwan and like overall like Chinese politics, and I found some of the books my dad had, like especially from like this one、um, author named Li Ao. Oh yes. <laughs> He's a, he's yeah, a, he's, he's of, quite a character. Yeah, he's a, he's a famous、uh, like a contrarian, and uh, 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 he's he's famous、uh, firebrand. Firebrand. That, that that's the name. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff with him I agree with, but now as a communist, I also don't agree with、yes. like a good amount of his stuff.、Yeah. But yeah, he's really good at like pointing out the hypocrisies、yeah. of the U.S. and like Taiwan status as like a client state. He's really good for that. Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah. And then eventually, I got to reading、um, Mao and in Chinese. What had happened was I took.、Um, I think this goes back to an earlier question that you asked me, and then we got off topic. But、um, I had a developmental econ course taught by、um, an Ethiopian professor.、Mm-hmm. So then, you know, like developmental econ, we pretty much talk about the different ex- like、um, experiences of different countries, and obviously,、um, the reforms and opening up in China were one of them. But then they didn't really talk much about Mao. So then, on the last day, he was like, "So, who do you guys think was good, like Deng Xiaoping or、um, Mao?" And then everyone was like, "Of course, it's it's Deng Xiaoping. Mao fucked up the whole country, and Deng saved single handedly saved China." And he was like, "Well, if you should really think about it, because what did Deng Xiaoping had to work with? He had a highly popu he had a highly educated workforce、yeah. that before before Mao was largely illiterate.、Yeah. He like he started listing these things, and he said that like had it not been for Mao, like." Deng's reforms wouldn't have been possible to begin with, regardless of what, regardless of whether you think they're good or bad. They, he would have had nothing to work yeah. with. Yeah, I mean that's that's one thing.、Uh, people who only have a superficial understanding of recent Chinese history don't get is that、uh, I mean Deng Xiaoping literally came from Mao. Like the, <laughs> you, you cannot disconnect Mao's legacy from from Deng Xiaoping. These are two. Like it's not like a break. It's not like this is there was a clean break in 1976 after the end of the Cultural Revolution. It it, it was like the the, the, the Deng, what Deng Xiaoping did. It it, it came 
I think there are multiple paths that you, they could have chosen at that point, but then none of those paths would have been possible without exactly. like, the, the previous 30 years, I think yeah. is what you're trying to that's say. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons Deng Xiaoping decided, you know, made a decision not to denounce smile altogether instead of the you know he get instead he gave that 70 percent 30 percent 30 percent 70 percent good 30 percent bad judgment right i mean like i think eh, i think i can i can agree with that <laughs> go ahead so i mean um yeah so then my professor was like yeah and then he was just like well i like mal i think you guys should um try to understand him before you just um go along with like seeing him as a villain so then i mean eventually i started reading that i was it was around like that year i was reading things like angles is um socialism from utopia into scientific and um i also tried to read marx but then i think marx is a little bit more difficult to read just because his language is a lot more dry mm-hmm. so then um I, I kind of put that to the side. I started reading Lenin because like people on the internet said I should read Lenin. And then um, I started reading Stalin because, you know, I was like, oh, there's so much hype about Stalin. But as I realized from the past, like I've been lied about so many things. I figured maybe I was lied to about Stalin being like this bloodthirsty tyrant. And, you know, now I like Stalin. So... So I studied Stalin. I had to relearn a lot of history. I also, and then I read Mao. So I, I, I read Mao in Chinese. I read some of, I read some of like Lenin and some of Stalin as well as Marx and Engels in Chinese, just so I know like the terminology in Chinese. <clears throat> but Mao, I read in Chinese most of the time, unless I'm trying to like, unless I'm trying, I, I want to know like how certain things are translated into English, and then I might look up the English translations. But I only have physical copies of the Chinese versions for Mao. I, and, I, I, yeah, I highly, um, yeah, I do highly recommend anybody who is interested, you know, learning about modern Chinese history uh, to, to read Mao, you know, like, like you, you know, even for those people who the critiques of Mao, like you can't, you, how can you criticize something if you don't under, if you don't even understand it, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, no investigation, no right to speak. Exactly. So, so no matter- this is what I tell. Like nowadays, like anti-communists, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not trying to tell you to think this or that. Not, I don't want you to agree with me, but clearly, you don't understand where I'm coming from, and you just think you have an understanding of things you clearly don't understand. So, why not take the time to under- understand it so you don't keep on resorting to stalling argument? Like people think that communism is like a hippie commune, for example. Like, oh, everyone does. I'm like, no, that's like. That's not that's not Marx at all. And they're like, well, no country was ever socialist because like they'll bring up a bunch of stupid reasons that clearly demonstrate that they don't read they haven't read like anything by like it, 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 that they, clearly it demonstrate that they don't understand the actual views of communists. It's the same with people, you know, a lot of people talking about China in the West, right? I mean like just talking yeah. to to them for like less than a minute, I realized they you know, they've probably never been to China. They don't understand China, but they have very strong opinions about China. It's like, God, why am I wasting my time with you? You know, you are just talking about your idea of China that's in your head. You're not talking, you're not even talking about a real thing, right? And, and, oh, but this this goes to an important topic because part of why I really wanted to understand my roots was like as a kid, I mean, I the first time I went to mainland China was in 2005. But um, 
before then, like growing up, like you have so many kids just asking so many stupid questions about like China in general, like, oh, who's like the current emperor or like, <laughs> like, do you like, like, or then like when we learn about China, you just make those like stupid, like those triangle hats, like, oh, this is what Chinese people wear. <laughs> and then like we had a little like history, like history segment on China, like when I was in third grade and like everything was like wrong. I mean, I, I even remember, like, this, this is in Caltech, right, where I went to college. Um, you know, we, we do, like, wall mural painting every year in our student dorms. So, like, one of the guys, I mean, he's actually a pretty cool guy, you know, even, even progressive. Like, he was painting um, people on the, on the wall, like, like, one representing each race, I guess, right? But... We, for the Chinese guy, he gave him the, the full Manchu mustache and the freaking <laughs> triangle hat, and the, and the totally like the, the really, really, really slant eye, like the totally character cartoon character version. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, why, why is it like normal? <laughs> but the freaking Asian guy, it's a freaking character. This is bullshit. So it's bro. like in. I mean, like, was this straight out of South Park? Go ahead. Was this straight out of South Park, like the Chinese guy? Yeah, I mean, literally, like, 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 literally South Park <laughs> depiction of, of Chinese. I'm like, what the fuck, man? It's like you can't even claim you never saw Chinese people. You're in fucking Caltech, you know? Like, like, why do you do this? Oh yeah. shit! And, and but you know, this is even like, you know, Caltech, right? Like one of the top. Uh, <laughs> top places of higher education in the United States. People are still, you can't say they're not well educated, <laughs> but it happens. That's why I realized, like, with the more educated you are, um, you know more things, but that's part of, that's one of the contradictions of capitalist society is, um, you're also more indoctrinated. You're also more, um, just, yeah, you're also more indoctrinated by the system at the same it's time. Like, so yeah. then you have, like, people who don't have education. They're usually not as indoctrinated, but then oftentimes they lack the, um, the like the language, the vocabulary, or whatever yes. to, or or the knowledge to fully analyze what they're seeing. But they see a lot more things than like the more educated people. Whereas more educated people, they have all of that, but then they're also very indoctrinated. So then it's it's very hard to break out of. Yeah, this. Mark Twain said, right? If you if you don't read newspaper, you are uninformed. If you read newspaper, you are missing for. <laughs> I mean, that's that's very true. <laughs> yeah, and and when it comes to China, I mean, like uh, most people in the West, I say they they their literal knowledge of China is from the news media, which present a very distorted view, and and even with some Americans who. Or, or or Westerners who do end up making China, they still try to view China with that preconceived uh, notion they have of China, like like how the people you describe that goes to DPRK, right? Like like people yeah, yeah. do the same thing. They already try to find evidence to support their preconceived view of China, and of course they find them. <laughs> you know, when you look. For example, yeah. like there was be like Chinese people are are not very um creative. That's like one stereotype. So then they'll go to China, they'll find someone who's not creative. I and mean, it's pretty easy to find people who aren't creative anyway. Yeah, I, I like to say, you know, you know, China is is an elephant, right? Like like people understanding, you know, basically we're all kind of blind men filling up the elephant, trying trying to get the whole picture. But amazingly you know the 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 media the especially the western media they 
always go for the elephant's ass <laughs> to show you all that shit, all the shit that's coming out of it. I mean, you can't say that's false. Yes, they are presenting a part of China, but remember, that's only part of China you get to see if that's only source you have. That yeah. yeah. So then there's also so then that was like part of my political development, just learning all of this stuff. And then I think because I like rap, a lot of it just got reflected in my music. And um, I really also I also really wanted to um, introduce people in Taiwan to um, all these alternative views that you mentioned. That I, I think this kind of ties everything that we mentioned before together about like how the U.S. media can't like lie about America as easily, but then in Taiwan they can because they don't live in America. But then they also believe everything else about them about like about other countries by like i'm not really wording this well it's yeah but you know what i mean so then america basically have a cultural hegemony over the world right i mean like yeah it's not just limited to taiwan as well i mean i see this even in mainland china oh yeah yeah but on a different level on a much different level because mainland china people there like even if like even like with mainland chinese liberals for example they have a better understanding of the fact that u.s hegemony does exist and that a lot of what they consume is like will reflect that people in taiwan just kind of see that like it's kind of like what um antonio gramsci said like ideology is like water to a fish like if you've never left it you don't realize that that's water yeah (laughs) and and in taiwan it's just always been liberalism 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 whereas there's much more um there's much more going on in the mainland in this regard, like ideological battles for the past like hundred years. Yeah, it's yeah. still going on today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then my rap, a lot of my rap is just want me wanting to raise awareness about these things, but then at the same time, I'm like, you know, a, a lot of times part of rap is just preaching to the choir and getting people to be like, oh yeah, he's saying what's up. But then I hope that part of it can also educate people about certain things. Like for my previous album, I had that song, like your so-called freedom and democracy. And it's just like, it's a story written from the point of view of like an Afghan person, I guess like from their childhood to their adulthood. And I'm um, talking about how the progressive government was overthrown by the U.S. because the U.S. didn't like the fact that it was... um it leaned towards the Soviets and then how it was pretty much the U.S. that gave rise, that created a power vacuum that gave rise to the Taliban because it supported the Mujahideen. That sort of stuff. But then at the same time, I also get a lot of like stupid comments saying that, well, you know, like this is, you're really shitting on democracy, you know, like we fought so hard, like America and Britain and like more recently, Taiwan have fought so hard for democracy and just throwing that all under the bus. And I'm like, do you not understand what I'm saying? Like, is my Chinese that bad? <laughs> oh, so these comments are in Chinese? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These comments are in Chinese. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. <laughs> and then they also like my my music video and like the DPRK. I also have like stupid comments about like how no, it's it's okay for the U.S. to have nukes because the U.S. doesn't threaten isn't a rogue state and doesn't threaten them. Whereas like the DPRK, I'm like only the U.S. has ever used nukes on like a civilian population. So like, <laughs> so, like fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like an, an um an anomaly even in like hip hop in Taiwan. 
Oh, I can't even like for, Yeah, but for some reason, like I have like some sort of like um a status just because I don't know. Part of it is just because people are like, wow, you improved so much because I started off like with that with the viral like failures. And then I wanted to prove myself. So then people see the improvement. So they're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. But then another part is I think I'm just no one else is saying what I'm saying so far. I wish that weren't the fact. I wish there were many other rappers who like made it so that I didn't really feel the need to continue making making music. Just because it takes some of the pressure off of me to deliver like um like deliver material that I feel is like decent enough because it's always like a challenge of saying like, okay, I want to do better than before. I want to get these points across. I want to get that point across. And because like in a rap song, you have like two or three verses. You can't write a whole book. You have to like really, it's, it's an art of like picking out the points you want to get across and like sparking just the right amount of curiosity for people to like look for more information. That's also why I call this album um, Xing Xing Zhuhu because I, because, yeah, right now I'm, like, the only communist rapper in Taiwan. But then I also want my music to be the spark to get more people to do, f- like, further investigations. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, Xin Xin Zihuo, the spark, you, that's, uh, that's refer- is from a reference to, to uh, uh, what, what Mao said, right? Xin Xin Zihuo ke yin liao yuan. Or actually, yeah. Mao originally took it from the Chinese history, but but you know, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Mao, most of his quotes are most of his quotes are like that. Honestly, he just popularized them to the rest yes. of the world. Yes, yes. Which like, I don't think he invented like women hold up half the sky. I don't think he invented that. He well, just... I have to I have to Google search that. Um, but but yeah, but original his saying was "xin xin zi huo ke yi liao yuan," a single spark can light up the whole prairie. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I do hope you. Um, I mean, I can, I can see you are making some impact. You know, your last album, uh, rumors and slanders about North Korea. It had uh, it had a 17 k view. So so that's pretty respectful. Yeah, I was also like getting interviews because what really happened was you know with my music, mainstream's not really going to cover me at all. No. <laughs> but then as a joke, as a joke last year, I submitted my album for um. For the um, Golden Indie Music Awards in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and the Golden Indie Music Awards is like a—it's part of the um, Taiwan's Ministry of Culture. It's like, it's organized yeah. by them. It's like the indie version of the um, the Golden Melody Awards. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, yeah, it's not gonna make it in. I, was, I just kind of submitted and I just kind of forgot about it. But then it actually got nominated for Best Hip Hop Album. Wow. So then I ended up going to the um, the award ceremony with a mouth pin on. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so then, because it got nominated, like certain music blogs and like media outlets kind of had to like kind of like half ass in a half ass way, like yeah, give me some coverage. So then that's when I and then yeah. they asked like a lot of questions, like, well, is it hypocritical that you're a communist but you're also selling music? I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not making anyone buy it. My music's free online. It's I, I'm just selling CDs for people who want to keep a copy in so I can break even. And like, this is just me myself. Who am I exploiting? Yeah, yeah. So then, I mean, and like yeah. this sort of like simple like buying and selling existed long before capitalism ever existed. And plus, I live in a capitalist society, so like, yeah, I, I got a few of those interviews, and then um, a lot of like a lot more stupid comments, like, "Oh, if you love communism so much, why don't you move to like 
like, I don't know, let's name any country, like mostly mainland China, but then also like North Korea or whatever. So then during this time, I also started running a um a Chinese language YouTube channel called um Shengu TV, Agiprop TV. Yeah. And I just teach yeah. people about communism, but it's like kind of tiring doing it on my own. So I'm kind of like turning them out slowly but surely. That's funny that you know you there are people who say, "Oh, why don't you move to mainland China?" When in fact, there are a lot of Taiwanese young people are moving to mainland China to study, to to work. And- Fun work. It's impo- It's It's like um, people. The job market in Taiwan is shit right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I met a a, a Taiwanese doctor who was trained in uh, in mainland China. He, he graduated from a, a medical school in Beijing. Um, he was in LA when I met him, and he basically he told me he would have preferred to stay in Beijing if he you know was allowed to practice because at that time, um, I think twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen, when I met him, at that time it was difficult for say like somebody who doesn't have like a Chinese. <clears throat> passport or Chinese resident permit to to work on mainland but but they just changed the rules like like a year yeah ago. now it's so by really easy there's no special documents needed nowadays yeah 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 so then there's that and then I mean a lot of it is um there is not much conscious rap or like political hip-hop in Taiwan but the one, the stuff that does exist is just very liberal and just very, it's very cringy and it just leaves a lot to be desired. Do you have an example <sighs> of the cringe? Do you have an example? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just asking you. <laughs> Something that you, anybody you, you, you have in mind. Well, uh, well, I guess no one in Taiwan's really listening to this, so fuck it. Um, there's this guy named Dwaki. Um, like uh-huh. yeah, I respected him a lot when I was younger, even though I didn't really necessarily agree with all of his views. But he just his political views have just stagnated and just stayed the same for the past ten years. And he's just always repeating Western propaganda. And then like he made it, he, he tried to start rapping in English, and he started working with um like American rappers like um Talib Kweli and like um Most Def. No, did he work with Most Def? I'm not sure. He worked with um Prodigy from Mob Deep. And um, Nas, like there was this one song that he made for a mixtape like ten years ago, like protesting, like um, supporting the Dalai Lama, mm-hmm. and then criticizing um then Taiwan leader Ma Ying-jeou for not being supportive of the Dalai Lama when he visited, and he's saying that like oh because Ma Ying-jeou was like a communist puppet, then like the only person that he would let go to Taiwan, like allow into Taiwan and support openly would be Fidel Castro, and I'm just like. Fuck you. Like, do you know anything about Fidel Castro? <laughs> and then it's just like um, a lot of that stuff is just um, it doesn't take any like sort of actual studying to reach those conclusions because all you have to do is just turn on a TV and just keep on absorbing and absorbing and absorbing. But then like people think that it really what really pisses me off is people are like, oh, you guys are like so similar because you guys both rap, both rap about politics. <laughs> And that really annoys me, and I hope that I can raise people's consciousness enough to the point where they recognize like the differences and how like um, it's no, it's not all the same. And like, I I put a lot more into um studying these things than him, and I'm also not on the DP um DPP's payroll, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, just wearing a 
Che Guevara shirt doesn't make you progressive. <laughs> he doesn't even he doesn't even do that. He doesn't wear a Che Guevara shirt. But then he'll talk about like he'll talk about like um supporting Malcolm X and um supporting Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, because that's hip now, you know, that's acceptable now. You know? Yeah, but then like he clearly demonstrates that he knows nothing about them. But then he and then he'll also like sing praises to the Dalai Lama and then when like um when Trump got elected, he made a song, like a, a song against Trump. Like the lyrics are so stupid because he's saying like Trump is bad because he says that NATO is a thing of the past. And I'm like, okay, Trump. <laughs> okay, you know what? Trump said that stuff for all the wrong reasons, but he's right. Fuck NATO. And if you like NATO, you're stupid. Either that or you're a class enemy, but you're not a class enemy. You're just, you're just stupid. <laughs> It's like I can understand if like a billionaire is against Kim Jong Un, for example. Uh-huh. Like you're not stupid if you're like a mil- if you're if you're a billionaire and you're against like Stalin. <laughs> but if you're like if you're not like the of the bourgeois class, and you like NATO, something is wrong with you. <laughs> and it not may it may not entirely be your fault because yes, we live in a society and there's um like the um. The, the state ideological apparatus and you know, there's, this, there's a superstructure but if you want to brand yourself as a conscious rapper I think you really should be doing more studying and like more investigating and not just regurgitating like everything the mainstream says I'm not saying that just because something is not mainstream it's incorrect it, it's um, correct or if it's mainstream it's automatically incorrect okay. so that's, that's another part of my motivation to do what I do and it's also probably another reason why, like, I might not be too popular in Taiwan because, like, the person I just mentioned is highly respected in Taiwan's um hip hop community. Actually, if it weren't for him, MC Hot Dog wouldn't have become probably wouldn't have become famous because MC Hot Dog was like this like really nerdy like um kid with no confidence, but he met this guy, and this guy just kind of pushed him into becoming like like you know more of a more of like a rapper rapper type of guy have more confidence and he also did a lot of like promotion for him and stuff like that so i mean he's not all bad but then when it comes to his political views and some of his more recent um career moves it, it's just very cringy and leaves a lot to be desired and i guess part of why um i feel so strongly about this is because this is a this is a guy who i respected as a kid when i first started listening to chinese hip-hop what else what what else is there you want to ask about like um the the um political development or the um sort of music climate or anything specifically in the album that you heard that you want to ask about actually whatever you want to talk about man this is this is free freestyle like anything anything you want Anything else you want to cover? Well, I, I I thought I would pass it back to you and see like if there's anything you want to cover because um, you know I what well, for me personally I, I just really wanted to understand your your background your your upbringing and how you you know develop your per- political consciousness and uh, because it and is then, rare. Well, like you, you, did you realize one of the songs in the in the video um Mong Dream how it talked about like just like the American dream and stuff like that. Mongshi 
。没有个梦想，只要努力就能富裕，像好莱坞的明星一样，生活毫无顾虑。没有个梦想，被迫离家背景的时候，跟随帝国夺取的资源，所以说是在寻找自由。It's part of the the new video, the, the a single spark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of the single spark. There's the um. So what? It's the fourth song. So what I'm gonna do is um, I'm gonna splice a little bit of uh of this song in the beginning as an intro, and then um include longer version of it at the end. Is that is that cool with you? Yeah, you can pick any song, not just that, because I wanted to talk about the topic in that song. So I guess it would be relevant if um it was spliced in somewhere. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that song that that was also um part of my political development at right after I graduated from college. Um, my family went through a foreclosure. Oh wow! This is um around twenty after twenty o nine. Twenty fifteen. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah, and like during my my. All like four years of my college, my family was going through like very tough financial times. Like my dad's like business wasn't doing too well, and there was also like some very poor um financial de- decisions on his part, like in the past that just really all added up and just made everything like just yeah just it, it should hit the fan. But it was those four years where I like just really realized how um you know. You say that this is a free country or whatever, but then like you're also worrying about whether or not you have a place to stay tomorrow. And like we're by far like not like the poorest in this country. I mean, I had a I had a pretty like petty bourgeois upbringing. I had a pretty like well off upbringing and stuff. But then this could even happen to like us. Imagine like you know the the really poor people. Yeah. So then. That happened, so then it was a lot of like disillusionment with the. Because the thing is, um, I think in Taiwan, look, the the idea of an Amer the American dream is still well and alive.、Mm-hmm. And I think, um, for the for a long time, like it was still kind of alive in the U.S. If you came from like um a well off enough background, like if you were an immigrant from like a well off like environment, and you already had some money, you know, you could just kind of. There was, there was like hard work, but it was also like money to be made. Yeah, that was more available available to more people than than now. And it's just、yeah. um after like the recession and all of that, and then there was also like, you know, things like Bernie Sanders becoming more popular. This really gets. Really gets all that stuff. Really got me to read more and understand things more. And then, like, I was kind of on the Bernie train in like 2015. But then a few months afterwards, I read more. I'm like, okay, this is he's selling like a bunch of good sounding things that he's not going to be able to carry out, even if he wanted to. Yeah, we live in U.S. after all. Yeah, <laughs> so then there's yeah, that, I mean, and then other songs. Bernie Sanders' platform would just be kind of standard in any like European countries, <laughs> Western, <laughs> Northwestern European countries. But in Un- United States, somehow he's a he's a firebrand. Yeah, it's pretty、know? funny. <laughs> and then like and and then like you have people saying that oh the Norwegian states are, and the Nordic states are um are socialist. 
in that social yeah. democracy. There's all that, and these are these are all misconceptions that I want to counter. I mean, I'm only one voice, and I'm definitely not going to get a mainstream platform. But and then like because I ended up going on another podcast on Pearls of the Roundtable a few months ago, I started getting a getting a Western audience. I have actually um sold um let me pull up. A good chunk of my sales from this album came from not from like the Sinosphere, but from the West. I sold sixty-eight albums to um countries like the U.S., the Netherlands, um, Sweden, Finland, Germany, Ireland, Canada, Romania, um, Spain. Right now, I'm thinking. Since I have a Western audience, during for my next album, I might do something where it's uh, mostly in English. I might have a few songs that are still in Chinese. I don't want to just stop rapping in Chinese altogether. And then I might have a s- song or two with, like, for example, like a, a verse in English, a verse in Chinese, or like a hook in Chinese, or something along those lines. And I think that I can grow a bigger audience. And I really hate to say this, but the reality is in Taiwan, if you're taken seriously by Westerners, then they're going to take you more seriously. Yes. So then that's kind of my next step, I think. But right now I'm just kind of, I'm back in school and I just like finished and finished my previous album. So I'm just taking it a little bit easy, but eventually that, um, that thirst is going to come back because nothing to me, nothing feels better than, um, releasing something after months of, um, of work and then just seeing like, seeing people like it interestingly enough i say months yeah. of work but i really procrastinated with my previous album like the um xing xing zhu huo um i recorded it all and mixed it like did the post-production and like did all the graphic design and stuff in one week so that explains what i i can i can relate I, i'm a big big time procrastinator too you know i always put things to the last minute and get it done in like couple days <laughs> yeah so, i did that with my with this album which is why um i wanted it to be longer but then i really just ran out of steam and i wanted to release the album before i left taiwan and have it like you know just like up on the market and everything for people to buy and for people to listen to. well i hope you get uh some exposure through this podcast and for Everyone who's interested to check out Shang Yu's music, we're going to have more of his music coming up at the outro. And I'm going to put the links to his YouTube videos in our show notes. So please go check it out. It's definitely interesting. I I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, thank you. Um, is, there, is there anything else uh, you want to promote or talk Not about? Not really. If you want to, um, if, if you want to just um, follow me on social media, my my Twitter is at um, Comrade Xiangyu, so Comrade and then X-I-A-N-G-Y-U. My Instagram is the same. My Facebook page is in Chinese, so I guess if you really care, you can find the link to it on my um, Twitter. And yeah, thank you. I will put I will put all these links in our show notes so people can access them. Uh, it will be... Um, it will be on show notes on all the platform on, on Patreon, Podbean, iTunes, you'll be and YouTube, everything. So Okay, thank you. Thank okay. you so much. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. That was a that was a pleasure. Uh, we don't get a Taiwanese Marxist rapper on the show every day, so 
hate it. Yeah. Um, and I think now you know I'm pretty bad at freestyling because my train of thought is like all over the place with this. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and you're you're a little bit too lenient with me on that. So sorry <laughs> if this episode had a lot of like tangents and yeah, um, good. people like that. But hopefully. Yeah, but hopefully, you know, you guys find this entertaining. If you're like just on a long drive or whatever, hopefully it provided some sort of entertainment and you learned a thing or two. Yeah. yeah and, and definitely, definitely stay for uh, the longer version of Xiang Yu's latest album, Single Spark, Xin Xin Sihuo. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Carl Za. That's just my name. So Carl spelled with a C. C-A-R-L, my last name, Z-H-A, that's zebra, Z as in zebra, H as in Henry, A as in Apple. Um, same thing on Facebook. Or just Google just Google my name, Carl Za, and you will find my podcast um, uh, on Patreon. Um, it will be the second link from the top, I believe. It will be the Silk and Steel podcast. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and uh, we will see you soon all right solidarity forever bye yes yo red salute to ransom notes this is for the people fuck the u.s of america谁是朋友谁是敌人我们能否最终这问题而不自欺欺人谁的朋友谁的利润是谁记忆一份的争斗和牺牲当社会的积极精分子被说是分数只想引人深思和虚伪存世因为从小到大有太多虚伪人事